From Iron Man in the Dark Knight to Endgame in the Flash, the comic book genre film, or the comic book genres of film, have come a long way. On today's episode, we discuss the highs and the unfortunate lows and where we believe everything is headed. However, before we get into that, I want to do an Ahsoka Episode 4 review, talk about the latest controversy surrounding Rotten Tomatoes, and possibly a bit more. So sit back, relax, and get ready for Bridging the Geekdoms. What's going on, peeps? Peeps. That's one person. Is there? No, there's no people. <laughs> What's going on? Welcome to Bridging the Geekdoms. It's been a, it's been a week. I say that every week, but it has. It has been a week. It's been interesting. We've got a lot to talk about. I really, really want to talk about Ahsoka. Obviously, we're going to talk about the main topic, which is the superhero genre and where it currently is and what has happened to it. Like, how did it get? That's the thing I want to talk about is how it got to this point. I don't want to talk about. Um, I don't want to talk about where it's at right now, but how it got there. So, let's uh, let's get into it here. All right. So, so, Ahsoka episode four, and and look, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this show. This show is undoubtedly, undoubtedly has it been the best Star Wars show that we've gotten. I love the first season of The Mandalorian. Don't get me wrong. Second season was all right. Book of Boba Fett was meh. Third season of The Mandalorian was meh. And Kenobi was just terrible. Terrible. And, and I'm not an Andor fan. I was not a big fan of that. But when it comes to this show, I really need to get a new arm for my mic. When it comes to this show, the stakes are high. They are high and they're great. And, you know, here's the thing. Here's the crazy thing about it. Um, it, You know, there's a lot of people out there who are going to sit there and say, oh, you only say the stakes are high because you saw Rebels and you understand. No, this is no different than any other film, any other TV show. When you go in, you don't know everything. You don't know everything, the, the backstory of everybody. This is a slow burn, a quote-unquote slow burn in a way. Yes, they're saying Ezra's a person. They're saying Thrawn's a person. Thrawn's a threat. Ezra's a friend that they need to find. But the real, the real, the real um, beauty of this is, is how they're going to push all of this, how they're going to reveal everything to everybody. Uh, and, and I've loved it so far. You know, the villains of this show are probably some of the best. They are top-notch. Balin, Balin is easily, easily the best villain that we have had and that we have seen in Star Wars since Disney acquired Lucasfilm in 2012. Uh, and, and this episode specifically highlights that to a, a large degree. I mean, there is no doubt about it that Dave Filoni took care in making sure that the villains were actually villains, were actually interesting. Because it's something that Star Wars hasn't had up until this point. And the acting. Look, rest in peace, Ray Stevenson. Your acting is chef's kiss. It is phenomenal. And honestly, it's not just him. It's, it's everybody. Then we have in this episode, you know, there's so much happens here. So not only are we getting these great performances, great writing, great characters, but we're also getting a story that is just really intriguing and interesting. And it has a great flow to it from the beginning. When Ahsoka tells Sabine that there may be a hard decision that they have to make here, that it's either going to be Ezra or the galaxy and that they need to be prepared, that they choose the galaxy over Ezra. And then they go on this journey through the episode where they first come across Marak and Shin, and they have to fight them. 
And I get it. A lot of people are upset about the whole Moroc thing being absolutely nobody. Everybody wanted it to be somebody, but that's fine. Honestly, it didn't bother me. Uh, it was cool to see the two styles, though, of Ahsoka and Sabine there, where Ahsoka was very mindful and used her training and used her understanding of the force and lightsaber skills to defeat Maroc really easily, where you have Sabine, who is struggling against Shin, but not giving up. And I really did like that. This episode, I, I'm telling you, like, this is the episode. It was everything about it was perfect. It felt like a George Lucas Star Wars project. You know, whether it was the transitions, the story beats, the action, the dialogue, everything felt on point. And, you know, getting back to the, the Sabine and Shin thing, we know this isn't going to be the last time that they have they have a match. Uh, they definitely are going to meet again. And I think, you know, the first one, obviously Sabine lost. The second one was more of a draw. I think the next time, the final time, it will be Sabine coming out victorious. And that's exciting because they've really built up this little rivalry between the two of them pretty well to this point. So, I, I, I again, the writing, it is just so damn good. I don't understand how people can sit there and tell me and say that this is a terrible show. I, don't, I just don't get it. We have the Balin versus Soka. And this was a beauty of a lightsaber battle. The best lightsaber battle that we've seen since 2005. Yes, 100% true. Obviously, yes, animation's different, but live action, the best. And then to have our hero lose. You know, I mean, it was a great fight. And they really, really, you know, gave it their all. But to have Ahsoka get to the point where she actually loses after you think she saves the day, that she gets the orb, stops the map, and you think that she saves the day, but no, it's not over. And she gets kicked off the ledge, essentially, pushed off the ledge, and falls to her supposed death. The Hera stuff in this, or the Hera stuff was really interesting too. I did like that where she kind of uh, goes against disobeying and disobeying the Republic and takes force uh, X wings to go to um, go to the planet where they are. Sabine, you can feel the conflict. You can see the conflict in her. She knows what Ahsoka told her that she has to destroy this orb, but. She can't do it because she can't lose Ezra. She has an opportunity to find and get that last person, that last family member back. The fact that they then, you know, obviously Sabine gives the map to them. They finish and they go into hyperdrive and they just utterly destroy Hera's uh, convoy, essentially, uh, was pretty, pretty intense. Again, everything about this episode from start to finish just felt just right. But then the big moment is at the end. The big moment. You see Ahsoka waking up. And you can actually kind of tell she plays it pretty well. She knows where she's at. She does. She She's a little confused on how she got there. But she knows because she's been there before. She's looking around and she's kind of like, why am I here? What, how did this happen? But then you hear, hello, Snips. And Ahsoka turns around and there he is, Anakin Skywalker, her old master, standing there. And, and you know, yes, this, this has a whole bunch of different questions on, okay, what does this mean for Ahsoka? What does it mean for, for Anakin? How is Anakin there? Why was Vader's music played in the background for a very brief moment after he appeared. What is going on here? Uh, that is the, those are the questions. And look, even somebody like myself who's watched Rebels and who understands what the world between worlds is. I understand what this is. It's not time travel. It's an interesting little area. But what I do like is that there's still questions. Even for the people who know what the world between worlds is, there's still questions. So those of you who haven't seen Rebels, who doesn't, who don't know what the world between worlds are, you're going to have questions too 
along with us who have seen it. And, and that's just good storytelling because they're building this. They're going to build it to a certain way. And like I've said, like I've said through this whole review, this episode from the music, the writing, the editing, the cinematography, the dialogue, the acting, and just everything in between, this episode was nearly a perfect 40-ish minutes of television. It was nearly perfect. I, I cannot wait to see what they do next week. I'm hearing rumors. I'm, I'm hearing rumblings of where they're taking this show in the next four episodes. I am a little worried to some degree, but look, they're, they're so confident that in this next episode that they're releasing it in a handful of theaters around the country for a special event, which is pretty badass if you ask me. Uh, but let me know. I want to know what your thoughts are on Ahsoka episode four. I want to know what you think of the series so far. I want to know what your expectations are for the rest of the series. Uh, what do you think Anakin is doing there? Why do you think Anakin is there? I love it. I love this is this is the stuff that just gets me happy when it comes to Star Wars. It's true. There's nothing better than Star Wars when it's just executing on all levels. And and Ahsoka episode four was that. And I'm not even one of the ones like prior to Anakin showing up, prior to him coming into that into the, this show. I was grinning ear to ear the whole time. Like I was excited and happy with this episode. They didn't need to have him at the end. And I would have been perfectly content and happy if they would have left it on a cliffhanger where you think Ahsoka is dead, but I am a sucker for cliffhangers, but it just was that much better because they added Anakin. Cause there's a lot of people out there saying, Oh, you only liked that episode because they added Anakin to no, no, it was a damn good episode damn good television so make sure you go and check it out if you haven't yet let me know your thoughts in the comments hit like hit subscribe follow all that jazz and uh yeah ahsoka episode four phenomenal phenomenal all right let's move on to the next topic <laughs> rotten tomatoes mm, rotten tomatoes everybody's favorite movie review website right because uh, it's been around for a while. I remember when Rotten Tomatoes first came out. It was like the early 2000s, mid 2000s. And I, I was on it all the time. Um, that's how I got a lot of my, <laughs> my information as a kid when it came to, to movies and uh, what was coming out. I would make lists and everything like, oh, I want to see this. I want to see that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Rotten Tomatoes has... Um, yeah, they've they've put themselves into a bit of a pickle here. A bit of a pickle. So, a report from the publication Vulture, they're stating, they're reporting uh, that they have been informed that they've got evidence of information that critics, critics that use Rotten Tomatoes were encouraged to not share negative reviews and that they were also paid for positive reviews. Now, this does fall in line with what I've been saying for a number of years. And I know over time people have, have gotten, have wisened up to the whole idea and aspect of Rotten Tomatoes. I know that uh, Colton and I used to talk about it on our show years and years ago. We would talk about how ridiculous it is to, to judge going to see a movie off of a score. Uh, to me, that's always been ridiculous. That's one of the reasons why I personally don't like to rate, you know, one out of four stars or one out of five stars or a nine out of 10. Like I don't like doing that because to me, you have to look at every movie as an individual film. You know, just because I think I, you know, let's just take Batman vs Superman. I think it's a good film, but because I think that is a good film, that doesn't mean that I don't think Spider-Man's a good film. I just like Batman vs Superman a little bit better, but that doesn't mean that Spider-Man isn't a good movie. And that's kind of where those, those, you know, numbers and those rankings always come in because you'll see a movie at with a 93% rotten score, rotten tomato score. And then somebody will see an 80% and they're going to say, well, 
that's not as good as that movie. Well, that's not the case at all. It could be just as good, if not better, but a few people just liked it less than the other film. You know, so it, it's just, it's annoying to me that Rotten Tomatoes has been just trusted for so long in that regard. And the critics have been trusted for so long in that regard. Now, I know Rotten Tomatoes has this policy where the reviews that are paid for can't be on, you know, part of their, uh, their website. Well, it's happening. And it seems like it's happened for quite some time, at least five years. So in 2018, a movie publicity company called Bunker 15 took on a new project, Ophelia, a feminist retelling of Hamlet starring Daisy Ridley. Critics who had seen early screenings had published 13 reviews, seven of them negative, uh, which translated to a score of 46% on all of the important aggregation site Rotten Tomatoes. So 46%, for those of you don't, that don't know, under 60% is considered rotten. So that is a rotten score for that movie. A disappointing outcome for a film with prestige aspirations and no domestic dis uh, distributor. But just because the tomato meter says a little is rotten, or a title is rotten, scoring below 60%, it does not need to stay that way. Bunker 15 went to work. While most film PR companies aim to get the attention of critics from top publications, Bunker 15 takes a more bottom-up approach, recruiting, recruiting obscure, often self-published critics who are nevertheless part of the pool tracked by Rotten Tomatoes. In another break from standard practice, several critics say Bunker 15 pays them $50 or more for each review. These payments are not typically disclosed, and Rotten Tomatoes says it prohibits reviewing based on financial incentive. In October of that year, an employee of the company emailed a prospective reviewer about Ophelia. It's a Sundance film, and the feeling is that it's been treated a bit harshly by some critics. Uh, so the teams involved feel like it would be benefit from, a more, from more input from different critics. More input from different critics is not very subtle, is not a very subtle code. And the prospective critic wrote back to ask what would happen if they hated the film. The Bunker 15 employee replied that, of course, journalists are free to write whatever they like, but that super nice ones often agreed, and there are more critics like this than I expected, are often agreed not to pub publish bad reviews on their usual websites, but instead quarantine them on smaller blogs that. Rotten Tomatoes never sees. I think it's a very cool thing to do if done right. The trick would help to ensure Rotten Tomatoes log positive reviews, but not the negative ones. And now this goes on and says between October of 2018 and January 2019, Rotten Tomatoes added eight reviews for that, that movie Ophelia. Seven were favorable and most came from critics who have reviewed at least one other Bunker 15 movie. Now... <clears throat> The Ophelia Affairs, it says later on, is a useful microcosm for understanding how Rotten Tomatoes, uh, which turned 25 this year, has come to function. The site has con was conceived in the early days of the web as a hot or not for movies. Now it can make or break them, with implications for how films are perceived, released, marketed, possibly even greenlit. The tomato meter may be the most important metric in entertainment, yet it's also erratic, reductive, and easily easily hacked the studios didn't invent rotten tomatoes and most of them don't like it says the film filmmaker paul schrader but the system is broken audiences are dumber normal people don't go through reviews like they used to rotten tomatoes is something that studios can that can game so they do this article goes on for a lot longer as you can see so i'm not going to read it all but he says something very interesting here the system is broken. Audiences are dumber. It's very true. Because people aren't going and reading full reviews. They're not giving a film a chance for themselves. They are looking at a score and deciding because of that score, that means it's good or bad. And that, to me, is ridiculous. This I don't know if this is going to be the downfall of Rotten Tomatoes, but I think this could be the start. I think this is something that is going to build, and people are going to uh, frequent Rotten Tomatoes a lot less after this point. 
but again, people are lazy nowadays. So maybe I'm just wrong. Maybe they're not going to care. You know what people do care and are making a big to-do about this? You know which ones are doing it? The Snyder fans. The Snyder fans are trying to make this their their rallying flag right now. See, Snyder's movies don't suck. Again, this, this only goes back five years. The Snyder movies in the DC that got slammed are 10 years and eight years respectively, or seven years respectively. So, you know, it's, they're a little bit, I don't think they fall into that. Um, But, but that's not to say that there wasn't some funny business going on back then. I'm not saying that, but I don't think this is the rallying cry that the Snyder boys think it is at this point in time. But it is an interesting, an interesting look at Hollywood and the way films are are criticized because there are thousands and thousands of critics out there anymore. And you either like some or you don't, but I don't think people even care enough to def- to decide and, and figure out which ones they actually like or which ones they want to continue reading and, and, and hearing opinions with. Uh, and that is a problem. But I want to know your thoughts. I want to know what you think about this Rotten Tomatoes stuff. I want to know, do you use Rotten Tomatoes? Do you not use Rotten Tomatoes? Do you hate Rotten Tomatoes? Do you like Rotten Tomatoes? Whatever it is, let me know your thoughts in the comments uh, because I want to know what you think about everything. <laughs> this next one. This next one is kind of fun. I I, I got to say this next topic. Um, video games. Video games. Go woke. So Starfield, which comes out um, yesterday, I think, or two days ago. Well, you know, let's just. Let's just play this here. I just want to say something to you, because I just want to say a little, little something. There is nothing I love more. Taking my headphones off, fuck that. Bethesda, there is nothing I love more <laughs> than to, to, to sit down, comfy chair, turn on my PC, fire up a brand new yes. RPG, uh, uh, lose myself, think, oh my God, just think of this world, just think of all the planets I can visit, all the immersive things Starfield that I can get great. involved with, all the fights, it was exciting. all the relationships, Talking all the about people it for years. I meet, all the places I go. I'm so excited to go there. And you know, I love nothing more yeah. Then with all of that laid out in front of me, I love nothing more than to be dragged out at every fucking conceivable opportunity so you can fucking current day us. <laughs> Sorry, did you want to get immersed in our world? Yeah, well, guess what? Fucking pronouns! <laughs> fucking gender ambiguity! Fucking current day Californian shit! Because that's all we fucking know! Okay, okay, okay. So it does go on some more. This this YouTuber's name is uh, Heels vs. Babyface. Um, obviously a wrestling reference. If you're a wrestling fan, uh, you would understand that a bit. But he's upset because Starfield gives you the ability and the option to choose your pronoun when creating your character. Now, we know that, you know wokeness in media and all forms of media isn't anything new. We've been seeing it in Hollywood with movies. I talk about it here and there, uh, you know, video games, not so much. Uh, so, but it's not, it's not, it, it's not surprising that it has taken this turn and gone this way. And don't get me wrong. I, I agree with him on this completely i do i i think it's ridiculous i think the the whole idea of these gender ideals and politics and ambiguity and all of that crap is just ridiculous and there's no reason for it but i do also understand the side of the rpg of bethesda and what they're doing because they're trying to hit a larger audience i don't agree that they should be doing that i don't agree that they should be backing and and supporting a mental illness you know this is just allowing this to grow and continue to grow instead of looking at the root of the problem and getting it fixed in this country, in this world. Uh, So 
yeah, I see what they were doing, but it's wrong. I agree with him. He went a little crazy, but hey, you know, sometimes you got to go crazy and to, to be heard. And that's what he did. That's what he did. We can't see past our own fucking reflection. That's the level of our narcissism here. But says the Western Game Company. <laughs> yeah. Fuck your immersion. Fuck you having a good time. But that's Fuck that's you the thing. Into a world because... and just getting lost. No, no, no. Current fucking day. And and that's the thing that he hits perfectly Fuck. there, because he's hitting. Look. I want to sit down and play a video game. I want to be immersed. I want to be taken out of the everyday world that is just bullshit at this point in time. It is annoying. It's ridiculous. This pandering to the woke left has gotten out of hand. And sometimes you just want to sit down and play a video game. You want to watch a movie and not think about that crap. Well, too bad. Off. Too You're bad. boring. You're fucking dull. You have nothing to say. You are a one hive mind twat waffle. Yeah. That's, that's my favorite. One hive mind twat waffle. I think that's my new favorite saying <laughs> on the internet. You fucking are. <laughs> and you wonder why people are getting so fucking sick and tired. You take everything we love, all our emotions, all our fantasies, all our escapism, and you just can't help shovel your dog shit, fucking crap, ideology into everything, every single solitary fucking thing. Yeah, it's true. He's not lying. He's not wrong. And that's the thing. That's the thing that, you know, about this. Why has it gotten so big? Yes, people at first were making fun of him for freaking out like this. Oh, look, you know, a gamer boy loses his mind over pronouns. But but here's the thing. He's not wrong. You're seeing more people supporting him. You see more people who are backing him and saying that he is not wrong, that he is right. And it's out of hand. It truly is out of hand. Obviously, Bethesda hasn't spoken out. They're not going to. Bethesda's not going to say anything about this whole ordeal because what do they care? Honestly, they're getting the money that they want from Microsoft at this point. So they don't care. They don't care. It is what it is. They're doing what they're going to do and they're going to pander to whoever they want to pander to because that is what all media conglomerates do these days. They just continue to pander. I, I wish that media would start taking a page out of sports right now, a, a book out of the, the book of sports, uh, specifically hockey. You know, over the last year, there were a lot of issues when it came to the pride nights in the NHL and people were refusing players were refusing to wear these pride jerseys to warm up in these jerseys that supported homosexuality or the LGBTQ community. And what did the NHL do? They said, look, we're a sport. You know, I, I, I think we need to get back to the basics of what we are. We are a sport. We are not here for political statements. We are here for people's enjoyment to enjoy a sport. And they got rid of it. They got rid of it. And that's what all these companies need to do is they need to understand that they're not, they're not out there to be political uh, megaphones. They're not out there to appease one side or the other. They're there for entertainment. They're there to entertain the masses, everybody. Sure, you're going to have those few directors or studios who want to specifically go for one type of audience. But this is a game that wasn't doing that. This game was for the masses. This game is to be for everyone. And when you start adding in the woke, when you start adding in this bullshit, you're going to piss people off. You know, you give them an inch, they want a mile. You give them a mile, they want 10 miles. You give them 10 miles, they want the world. And that is what is happening. That is constantly happening, especially in, in the United States. It is constantly happening. But I want to know your thoughts. I want to know what you think about this whole thing. Uh, do you think he was, you know, a little uh, ridiculous? <laughs> was he uh, in line? Was he right for freaking out like that? Let me know in the comments. I, I, I want to know your thoughts. I do. I want to know what you think about that whole thing. Again, it's interesting. 
surely is interesting, but let me know your thoughts. All right. Main topic time, guys. It's the main topic. That's fun. Fun. Fun, fun, fun. All right. So we're going to talk specifically. We're going to talk about what has happened. How did the superhero genre get to where it is today? Because it is a very, very interesting journey that has taken place over the better part of 15 years now. And there's a lot of people who are sitting there today, uh, me included, but fans all around the world, they're sitting there and wondering, why has the superhero genre, why have they gotten so bad? Now, we kind of just talked a little bit about it with our last topic. When you put in the woke, you know, it, it really, really hurts what you're trying to build and what you're trying to do because you're no longer reaching a bigger audience. You're reaching a smaller audience audience and and that's just that's just no fun that's no fun um because it's not right because you want to reach more people than just a smaller audience but this journey that we've gone on over the last 15 years you know it started back in i i i say 2008 is really where this started uh don't get me wrong 2005's batman begins phenomenal movie uh, you know, you had the Spider-Man films, the X-Men movies. They're all great. And they all had a big part in getting us to where we are. But overall, the superhero genre, I think the modern day, the current day generation of superhero films really started in 2008. What's going on, Triton? Shit, shit, shit. Sorry I'm late. Was busy playing Arkham Knight. Hey, man, no problem. The beauty of YouTube is the video is always there. So you can always go back to it. So that's all right. Uh, but so in 2008, you have some two really big movies that kind of really pushed the bar for superhero films. You had Iron Man, which really was the catalyst and the starting point for the MCU. And then you had the dark Knight. Now the dark Knight was a little bit of a different situation. I, I get the love that people have for the dark Knight. However, in my opinion, it, it's only boosted up as high as it is because of the late Heath Ledger. Uh, but regardless, that movie made a billion dollars. Iron Man was the catalyst for the MCU. Because The Dark Knight made a billion dollars, when The Dark Knight Rises came out a couple years later, Christopher Nolan made another Batman movie and made another billion dollars. And they continued, they wanted to continue working with Christopher Nolan and they wanted to do Superman. So they ended up utilizing a story and script by Christopher Nolan and David Goyer to make man of steel, which Chris Nolan was big on hiring Zack Snyder for director of that on the Marvel side. They did things a little differently because in 2008 you had Iron Man and then you kind of rushed through a handful of films, Iron Man two, Thor, Captain America, and boom, we get an Avengers movie in 2012. In four years, four years from Iron Man to Avengers. And the movie made a billion dollars. It was a phenomenon. It, it was huge. I don't think people today understand and remember what that movie was in the public eye at that time. Because they were doing something that had never been done before. And even DC at the time wasn't even looking at doing that. Let's not forget that in 2009, they were looking at doing a justice league movie, just a justice league movie, not connected to what Christopher Nolan was doing with the dark Knight trilogy, something completely separate. So DC and Warner brothers weren't even looking at doing something like that. Kevin Feige and Marvel really set the standard from 2008 to 2012 on a connected superhero franchise and what it could be and what it should be. The problem is in Hollywood with film, everything is flu. There's a flu. There's ebbs and flows to film. Uh, you can go back as far as the, 50s and 60s and you take a look at the types of films that were out coming out then 
you know, some of the big movies in the 50s and 60s were Westerns. And that was about a 10, 15 year span of time. Westerns were the thing to, to, to make. Every studio wanted to make a Western. They wanted to get the next John Wayne. They wanted to you know, really push that idea. But then the 70s came along. The 70s came along and what came out, what was big then? You had your crime dramas. You had your, your dirty Harry's and, and things like that. That really, that was the shift. You went from cowboys and Indians to cops and robbers. But then it went even a step further in the 80s. Because in the 80s, they, they stuck with the, you know, the, the action hero. But it wasn't anymore your Clint Eastwoods. Uh, you know, the skinny Langley guy, Langley guy. No, it was the big buff. The big buff muscle men. And you got your your big action films in the 80s and 90s, which lasted 10 to 15 years. And then there was a bit of a lull there where comedies were really kind of the big thing in, in, in Hollywood and in film. Uh, but then in the 2000s, late 90s, 2000s, the superhero genre was kind of there. It was, it was sticking around. like It was popping up like, hey, we're here. We're cool. Uh, you should check us out. But it hadn't quite found its footing yet because even at that time, the superhero genre comic books were not mainstream. So people weren't really looking into that. And you get to the point of the late 2000s and it just it clicked for everybody. Let's take a look at Triton's comments here. He goes, at the time, I never got hyped for the first Avengers film, and I still don't. Putting aside being the first ever superhero team-up film, it feels looks just like a mediocre big-budget TV special. You're right. It doesn't look overly phenomenal. I mean, let's not, let's, let's not ignore the fact that Josh Whedon isn't a great cinematographer, and he isn't a great um, you know, filmmaker in that regard. But he is a good writer. I, I always give him that. I mean, I loved Buffy. I loved uh, um, the the film Buffy. I loved the show Buffy. Angel was good. I mean, he knew how to, he knows how to write. And granted, I know that his writing isn't for everybody. I understand that. And if you read a script like his Wonder Woman script from the 2000s that never got made, it was horrendous. So obviously he wasn't perfect, but he was a good writer. And the way that he and Kevin Foggy were able to create such tension in a, in a universe and a franchise like they did with the first Avengers was incredible. And it was exciting. It was a moment. Like if you were a comic book fan, did you ever think in a, in a thousand years, you go back to the nineties, go back to the two thousands. Did you think that it was possible that we would see the Avengers on the big screen? I, I never thought it would happen. Sure, you always had this idea like, oh, they did X-Men and they did Spider-Man. Oh, they should put the two of them together, which almost happened. They almost had Wolverine in a Spider-Man movie. But you you never really, like, honestly believed, oh, we're going to get to that point. Because it just didn't seem feasible. It didn't seem like anything that they would do. Triton also says, the 80s were the era of Arnie, Sly, and Willis. Absolutely. Absolutely. So getting back to it, you know, we take a look and we see how film has gone the 30, 40 years prior to Iron Man and the Dark Knight. And we see that everything runs in about 10, 15 year increments. And then there's a bit of a change. There's a bit of a change. 2008, guys, that was, what is that? 2008, 10, 13, 14 years ago now at this point. I mean, no, what is it? 15 years. Yeah, 15 years ago. Yeah, math I'm bad at. So 15 years ago, we're at that mark. Not to mention of the oversaturization, because what happens in film? You take a look at those 70s films. You take a look at the 80 films. What, has ha what happens? Something is great. Something is fun. Something is awesome. You see, you get your, your Terminators, your Commandos, your Rambos, your diehards, but then you just get a whole bunch of crap that is trying to be just like it that comes out. Your kickboxers. No, I'm sorry. I know people like that movie. Uh, but you get the movies that are trying to be like that, and it starts to get oversaturated, which is what pulls people out of the excitement behind it. 
Trayton says, Wedden fucking sucks donkey dong. Even putting aside the whole just, Justice League thing and his ego, I think his direction is trash, and he writes every character the same. Quippy, quippy, quippy. Yeah, I mean, it's subjective, okay? Uh, like I said, I, I liked his older stuff. Uh, I did like the Avengers film. I didn't like Age of Ultron. I wasn't a big fan of that. But regardless, we're, we're not going to stick to Josh Wen. We're not going to talk about Josh Wen. We're not going to even talk about the directors because it's not, it's not the directors that ruined the genre. As some want to try and make you believe that it's certain directors or certain producers that ruined it. That's not even the case. That's not what has hurt the superhero genre necessarily. It's that it became oversaturated. You take a look at the buildup. I, I say between, so from 2008 to 2012, 2013, I will say that's like the beginning phase of the superhero genre, the, the modern day take of the superhero genre. From 2014 until 2017, 2018, I would say that was the peak. That is when it was at its best. That was when you were getting films like Guardians of the Galaxy, Winter, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. You had your, your Man of Steel, your BVSs. You had these films that were just at a different level. You never thought you would get these type of superhero films in live action, and we got them. And that, that, that was the peak. And you know, I, I think you could push that to 2019 because Endgame. But honestly, I think Endgame was the start of the decline. Because the start of the decline happened when you finally had this culmination of something and it all comes together and it's just phenomenal. It's great. It's exciting. And then you're kind of like, well, that was a great 10, 11 years. Um, I don't know if I want to sit through another 10, 11 years of it. But what happens is they start shoving so much of it down everybody's throat. But not only that, they then start adding in their political ideals in their their agenda pushing. And then it starts to piss off a certain sect who maybe five, 10 years ago wouldn't have minded seeing that so much, but because they've just seen so much and they've seen the peak of superhero content, they don't want the same old. They want, they want something different. They want something new. They want something that'll challenge them. Triton says, you're basically getting to one of the reasons why gun is going to fail. Superhero hype is gone, especially for DC after all the bullshit. Snyderverse was and still is WB's best chance, and they blew it. Triton says, E-tier characters like Creature Commandos and the Authority ain't gonna, I'm guessing, do crap. Look, you're not... You're not completely wrong on that on that aspect of it, okay? First off, Creature Commandos is an animated thing, and, uh, you know, it's going to have its cult following. It, it's going to, that's that's what happens with animation all the time. So you're going to have a, a very specific following who likes Creature Commandos. You're going to have people probably like me who watch and say, eh, it's all right, it is what it is. Not a necessary watch. But when you get down to it, when you really think about where the superhero genre is now, where it is right now, bands want to be challenged. They don't want everything fed to them anymore. And you saw that with what has happened over the last few years. Ammon and the Wasp Quantumania was a typical Marvel film. It wasn't any worse than you know their worst film. It wasn't any better than their best film. It, wasn't, it was more of a mid-tier Marvel movie, really. But that's not what people want anymore. And the box office shows that. The, the audience reactions show that. I didn't hate it, but it wasn't anything special. I didn't love it because, well, it was pretty much more of the same. And that can be said with other films that have come out. Sure, you've had a couple gems that have come out here and there. Uh, like for my for my take, I, I think Eternals was was an excellent film because it was one of those movies that in a way challenged the Marvel fan. They challenged them a little bit. The problem is. It was just a little too big, too fast for your typical Marvel fan. And I think that's why it didn't grab on like it should have. And, and look, I know I don't want to talk about directors, but, you know, I've said this before. You move Man of Steel, Batman vs. Superman to 2020 and 2023. Those movies are billion dollar big hit films because they are so detached and different from all of the other superhero films that have come out over the last 15 years 
that it's the new direction, it's the new idea, it's the new challenge that the fans want to see. And, and that's where we're at right now. You know, that peak, you know, people always ask, why did Batman vs. Superman fail? Why did Man of Steel, you know, not really uh, grab on and, and people love it? Because it was during a peak, it was during a time of superhero films that Marvel established. And if it wasn't done the Marvel way, it was not going to be very successful. You even take a look at a movie like Deadpool. Deadpool was a film was a movie that, while it was a little darker and a little more raunchier than a Marvel movie, it still had that humor and that charm that is in every MCU film. And you take a look. Joker did a billion dollars. It did huge because it challenged the audience. It was different. Batman, you know, the Batman, look, it didn't do great. Um, I different in my opinion I, I i'm not a big fan of it but if it's another one of those movies that's different enough that people are going to watch it and enjoy it triton says recently watched eternals for the first time and immediately became my favorite mcu film so different and fresh interesting and ambitious and visually it's by far the best shot mcu film ever my point exactly this is coming from a man who is a die hard dc fan so you're seeing how Eternals does hit differently than every other Marvel movie when you see a response like that. And that to me is where we're at when it comes to the superhero genre right now, they have to find a way they, they need to move forward. They need to, they need to move on and change the way people are thinking and feeling and watching superhero movies. That's what that has to happen. And you have to push through. You're going to get some pushback because there are those diehard Marvel fans still who want exactly what Marvel is. But it's not as it's not as big as it was 10 years ago. That that fan base has dwindled, and partially because they've gotten older. They're not 10-year-old kids anymore. They're now 20, 25-year-old adults who, yeah, still want to watch Marvel movies. They still want to see Spider-Man. They still want to see Captain America. They still want to see the Hulk, but they don't want to see them making dumb quips and handling, you know, dumb, you know, villains that have no real impact. They want something that is a little more real and fleshed out. They have to grow with the audience. They have to grow with the audience. And that's a great way to put it. That's why you're seeing you're seeing people online. You're seeing people who are revisiting Man of Steel, Batman versus Superman, Zack Snyder's Justice League, Wonder Woman. They're revisiting those films and saying, man, I really like this now. Because five, 10, you know, 13 years ago, eight years ago, whatever it was, they weren't ready for it. They weren't ready for it. The MCU was at that point in time what needed to be shown. If DC would have done that, if Man of Steel would have been a more of a Marvel film. If Batman vs. Superman would have been more of a Marvel film, they would have been successful. They would have been huge. And they would have been that universe, that franchise would still be going on today. But it would be struggling just like Marvel because they didn't, they're, they're not challenging the fans. Friend says, I like the MCU for what it is, but if it gives me something that closely resembles the style of comic book movies that most appeals to me more serious deep etc i'm definitely gonna appreciate it and again i i'm one of those people that says look i don't want every movie to be the same i i want to occasionally have a serious tone a, a darker vision um of, of a movie of a story absolutely but there are times when i want that goofy ridiculousness with heart uh just like guardians of galaxy 3 i i thought was great i thought it had everything that heart humor heroics not everything. It was great. But yeah, I would love to see a movie like Batman for Superman occasionally or Man of Steel or V for Vendetta or Sin City uh, 300. Those are types of movies that are dark and, and, and challenge the viewer in a different way. Triton says, most re first reactions to Zack Snyder's Justice League I've seen ends with some variation of why aren't they making more of this? But again, again, you're looking at that review in 2021 at the end of the superhero boom 
at the point where people are just tired of the same old Marvel formula. I don't want to say formula because it isn't a formula. It's just it's it's the Marvel Marvelization of film. It's it's what they created. It's their own brand of film. And people are are over it. Again, occasionally I think people would be fine with it. But they need to, you know, for instance, let's look at Marvel. Blade is a perfect example of where they could have really pushed the bar in and given us something different. But they, you know, they, they can't get it made. They've been trying for four years to get that movie made. And I don't think it's that they can't get it made. I think it's that they're afraid to make it. They're afraid to go down that route because they're just so ingrained and so stuck in the way that they've done things for 15 years that they're like, well, if we change it up too much, then what do we do? We're screwed. And, and that's that's a, the problem. And, I, and I, Kevin Feige is a great producer. He's possibly one of the greatest producers of all time. But if he can't see that, if he can't recognize that they need to make a big change with Marvel, then it's time for him to go. It's time for new, fresh ideas, fresh blood in there. And to get to James Gunn running DC, well, he has mentioned and, and recognized exactly what I'm saying. This isn't something that he hasn't said himself. He said that writing has gotten lazy. They don't challenge the viewers. We need to change that. We need to make that the goal for DC moving forward. Now, whether that means we're going to get darker toned films and TV shows, or if it's going to be more lighthearted with a little more challenging story ideas and stories, that's to be seen. But just be aware that James Gunn has recognized that. He's, he's at least recognized it and brought it up. Kevin Feige hasn't said a damn thing about it. Scott Derrickson left Doctor Strange too because Feige wouldn't let him go all out with the horror, says Triton. And you're exactly right. You're exactly right. They, Doctor Strange 2 could have been, should have been, should have been one of the most interesting and out-of-this-world type of story. But what do they do? They marvelize it and make it as childish as they almost could make it without making it a G-rated Disney princess movie. Um <laughs> No, it's not that bad. But again, it, it could have been so much better if they would have allowed Scott Derrickson to truly make a horror aspect film. And, and that's what they should be doing. They should be looking at these different genres and going all in. Who the hell cares if it's if you're if you have a rated R Marvel movie, who the hell cares? Give it a shot. See what happens. Go real dark with it. Why not? Look at what happened with, with uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier. That's so many people's favorite because you take a look. Before that, you had that marvelized storytelling. And then Winter Soldier came out and kind of flipped it around a little bit. It was like, no, we're not just going to stick to this one way. We're going to do a political thriller as well. A spy film, in a, in a sense. And It worked. Trent says, think fuck Deadpool 3 is, is still rated R-rated. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, Deadpool, though, while it's rated R, it still has that that uh, charm of MCU to it. So, yeah, it's going to be great. I'm sure. I mean, Ryan Reynolds is not going to let it not be great. But I don't think I don't think that's that's the direction we need to go uh, when it comes to the superhero genre. I think we need to go in different directions. We need to explore horror. We need to explore you know, political intrigue and thrillers and spy movies and different things in that regard. I think they need to do that. And, and, you know, on the flip side, going to DC, we know James Gunn is looking at that. You take a look at the creature commando swamp thing, Raven, the bold Superman. You know, these are all different types of stories, different types of environments for these characters, for the storytelling. And I think that's the whole idea is what he wants to try different things and, and, and put it out there and see what sticks and see what works. Not everything is going to work. Not everything will work. But a company like Marvel Studios right now, they have the clout and the ability to go out there and try different things to see what people like. And they may take a hit here and there. Sure. Look at Werewolf by Night. 
Werewolf by Night was a fantastic short special on Disney Plus because it was different. It was different. They did different things with it. Why? That is where that's what has happened to the superhero genre. It's not, you know, you're going to have people over there in the YouTube and the social media is trying to tell you, oh, it's all the woke politics. Oh, it's people are just sick of comedy. That's not all it is. I mean, you get to a point where things are oversaturated. You get to a point where we've seen the same thing for 15 years. It's time to move on. And sure, there'll be remnants that stick around for a little while, just like with the 80s you know, films, we still get a, a Rambo here and there. You have the Expendables that comes out. And sure, we're all like, sure, let's go check it out because it it, it, it brings us back to that time when we were kids or when we lived in the 80s and, and enjoyed watching those films. But they're not as big as they used to be. And, and that's kind of what's happening to this genre right now. We're, we're in that moment where things, are, they're, they're kind of dwindling away. And people don't want to see that. And what really hurts is Hollywood as a whole is struggling right now. They really are. They're struggling as a whole. And there's no possible way for them to just flip a switch and get everybody back to the theaters to get everybody back to uh, getting excited. You know, you have Barbie, which did huge. And I'm starting to believe that our next big genre is going to be that of the weird IPs, you know, toy IPs and stuff like that. They've been pushing and trying for a number of years and it just hasn't stuck. But I think Barbie might be that first one that does it. Another big one could be video games. You know, they've been pushing and trying for a while. Sonic hit big. Mario hit big. What's next? You know, that that's the thing. It's time for a shift and a transition. And if the superhero genre, if the Kevin Feige's, the James Gunn's and all of those people that work within that industry don't if they're not careful they're just they're going to be out of a job and their franchises are going to die and that's a problem and that's unfortunate because it's not a hard fix it really isn't a hard fix but they just have to have the balls to do it it's that simple that was an interesting interesting topic i enjoyed it uh I want to know what you guys think about this whole superhero genre thing. What do you think happened to it? What do you think is the root cause of why it's where it is today? I just think it's it's time. It, it is its time. It's it's had its run. And unless you adapt and move forward, you're just gonna be out left out in the cold. That's what happens. That is what happens. And the music stopped. There we go. Uh, so, yeah, let me know your thoughts. Make sure you hit that like button, hit subscribe, share this with all your friends, family, aunts, uncles, grandparents, and all that jazz. Because, you know, why not? <laughs> Triton goes, I'll try to be on next time or be on next, be on time next stream. I can't talk. <laughs> Man. It's okay, Triton. You can still go back and watch it. You can comment. You can like it. You can share it. You can tell people to watch it as well. It's okay. No big deal, man. No big deal. Uh, make sure you check out my channel. I got some videos up there for you to watch. Um, we got something I, I, I'm working on, uh, some original-ish content for the channel coming up by the end of this month. Kind of excited about it. I got kind of inspired by uh, something that I watched recently, and we talked about it on, I think, last week's episode of the podcast. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm working on it. It's starting to look good. Um I'm enjoying it. It's fun. And we'll see what it's bond from it and see if it grows any bigger than it did than I have it as right now. But it's interesting. It's cool. Uh, it, it, being a creative mind in today's age is really, really interesting because there's so many tools at your fingertips now with AI, with uh, the technology that's out there that you can make anything happen pretty easily. So I'm looking forward to it. So you know, make sure you subscribe to stay up to date on all of that and what I'm doing. It's going to be awesome. I'm also writing a comic book. Um, it's not a serialized comic book. It's just going to be a, a comic of a bunch of comic strips of, of dumb stuff. Um, <laughs> stupid little jokes that I think are funny. Characters that I've created that I think are funny. Uh, so definitely be on the lookout for that. I'm hoping to have that out before the end of the year. 
Uh, what we're trying to do with Bridging the Geekdoms is, is have a little section called Bridging the Geekdoms Presents, where we help small creators get things out there. And the best way to do that is to be creative myself and start getting stuff out there so people can see that it's there and hopefully get other creators to join in. So, uh, yeah, that's something pretty cool that we're doing. But I think that's it. I think I'm done talking. The music's gone through twice. Um, so, yeah, with all that said, guys, I'll talk to all of you later. Um, stay cool. Stay awesome. Things. I forget my outro. What do I say? And I'll talk to all of you later. There it is. <laughs>